0: morning Genesis the passage today is Genesis 29 10 30 when Jacob saw Rachel daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, <clears throat> give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her. And Laban Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came there was Leah so Jacob said to Laban what is this that you've done to me I served you for Rachel didn't I why have you deceived me Laban replied it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one finish this daughter's bridal week then we then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work and Jacob did so He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. The word of the Lord.
1: Hey folks, ready for this week's two-minute roundup? Well, here we go. In this week's scripture portion, Jacob, who's still on the run from his brother Esau, who wants to kill him because, of course, Jacob swindled him out of his birthright and his father's blessing, and he's still awestruck by the transcendent dream that he had last week in which God met him in that certain place and promised to be with him no matter where he went, he now is finally arrived at his Uncle Laban's house in Haran. Naturally, one of the first things that he does when he gets there is he makes out with his cousin, Rachel. (laughs) Now, relax. That's kind of just the way they rolled back then. You got to think Game of Thrones a lot of the times when you're reading these stories in Genesis. Anyway, Laban seems thrilled to see Jacob there. This is from verse theme. Verse 13, when Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced him and he kissed him. So he seems thrilled that he's there. But when Jacob asks Laban if he can marry Rachel, who he loves, Laban consents. But only after Jacob agrees to work for him for seven years. So fast forward seven years and one day. Jacob wakes up the day, it's the day after his wedding, and he finds out he got tricked. He's not married to Rachel, he's married to Leah, Rachel's sister, also his cousin, because old Uncle Laban orchestrated it that way. When Jacob protests, Laban consents to give him Rachel as a wife as well, but only after Jacob agrees to work for Laban for another seven years. So Jacob the trickster is finally beaten at his own game. I guess instant karma really is gonna get ya, as the great saint John Lennon warned us. So Jacob winds up with two wives who are also sisters, Rachel and Leah. What could go wrong with this story? Well, remember what Carrie read in verse 30. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Also remember, Esau is still hunting for Jacob to kill him. Oh, and also remember, this is still the family whose God-given responsibility is to be a blessing to the world. So it doesn't seem like a very good start. (laughs) So I want to read to you super quickly these four verses, because it lays out the beginning of what will be a decades-long battle between Leah and Rachel in terms of bearing children. And so here it is, the very next few verses from the one that Carrie just read, starting in verse 31 of Genesis 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. That's what Reuben means. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, verse 33, and when she gave birth to a second son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And again, Leah conceived. When she gave birth to a a third son, she said, Now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. How do we feel so far about this story? Here's the first all play question What do we know so far about Leah and Rachel? What do we know so far about Leah and Rachel? Let's let that be an all play question. You can use the comments in the Facebook watch party to answer. And man, this one in particular, I wish we were live so I could see your answers. Okay, so, Leah and Rachel, what do we know about them? Well, this is what I would have written down if I was just hearing the sermon and not preaching the sermon. We know that they're sisters, We know that their father decides who they marry. We know that Leah has weak eyes. And we know that Rachel has a lovely figure and is beautiful. And we know that Jacob loved Rachel more. Now, it's possible that I left some things out. Totally possible. It's very possible and probable that you came up with things that I didn't come up with, but that's what I came up with. They're sisters, their father decides who they marry, Leah has weak eyes, while Rachel is seen as beautiful and lovely figure, and Jacob loves Rachel more. So think about that. Question, is anyone else bothered that this is all we know about these two women? Is anyone else bothered that this is all we know about these two women? Is anyone else bothered that the narrative seems to be set against each other? The very story seems to be heading toward a conflict between these two sisters. And is anyone curious whether or not a better plan might have been hatched if Leah and Rachel were in charge of making it? Can I get an amen? Jacob and Laban are making quite a mess of things. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to literally read to you most of the next chapter, Genesis 30. And I promise you it goes quickly. But I also promise you that it'll be enlightening in terms of how the narrator is choosing to tell the story of Leah and Rachel. And then after that, we're going to make some observations about um, the, the, the destiny of these two women according to the narration of the story. So I'm going to read to you Genesis 30. This is just right after the verses I just read, which were right after the verses that Carrie just read. So when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister Leah. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. And Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? And that's interesting, right? So apparently, according to Jacob and according to the Bible, it is God that has kept Rachel from having children. Now you got to ask the question is that true or is that how people saw God back then? I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I think it's a really good question. So then she said, here is Bilhah, Rachel said, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. Now this should sound very familiar. This is exactly what Sarah did with Abraham, Sarah and Abraham. Sarah said, take Hagar, my, my servant, and so I can have a son through her. Oh my goodness. Instant karma really is gonna get you. So she gave her, him, that is Jacob, her servant Bilhah, as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and he has given me a son. Because of that, she named this son Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. Oh my gosh. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that Leah had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife, even though she had already born four sons from Jacob. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune? So she named him Gad. Sounds like a character on Arrested Development. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Whew. During wheat harvest, Reuben, that is the first son of Leah, went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. Now, mandrake plants were known to be aphrodisiacs. <laughs> okay, so that's what that is. <laughs> which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, was it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? (laughs) Oh gosh, this is so tragic, it's funny. Okay, very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said to Jacob, her husband. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. Uh, So she named him Isaacar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, "God, God has presented me with a precious gift This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter, oh, by the way, and she named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Again, ask the question. And I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm not saying we should know the answer to this one. But is that really how it went, that God finally enabled her to conceive? Or is that how people saw how God did things back then? Just a good question. She became pregnant, Rachel, that is, and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph, that is Joseph of the technical or dream coat fame, and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Okay, now observation. Based on that whole story, based on that whole narrative, competition, the first son, the second son, the third son, the handmaids, the sixth son, the the daughter. When women are valued because of their child-bearing and child-rearing abilities alone, or because of their beauty alone, the image of God within them remains buried and diminished. When we only value women, and when we only tell their story based on their beauty or based on their child-rearing or child-bearing capabilities. We diminish the image of God that is in them. We bury it down deep. Women were never meant to be the property of men, bandied about or used to sell products or used to feel like you now have won the lottery in your middle age or whatever. It was never meant to be that way. And I know that's true based on the Bible, of all things. I want to read to you Genesis chapter 2, when woman was created. So I'm going to read you just four verses. Genesis 2, starting in verse 19, this is after God had created the animals and the plants and Adam, the human. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, No suitable helper was found. Among all the birds, among all the animals, Adam or the human was still alone. So the Lord God calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man, verse twenty-two. Now, I want you to notice—or actually, I want to ask a question. Uh, this is an all-play question, so feel free to please use the Facebook comments and the watch party to answer your these questions. Okay. So, what images or words come to mind when you hear those two words as it relates to women? Suitable helper. Another way to ask the question. How do you feel when you hear the Bible describe the first woman as suitable helper? How do you feel when you hear the Bible describe the first woman as suitable helper? Use the all play. Use the comments and the Facebook watch party for the all play question. Well, my guess is I didn't give enough time to fully allow for the venting that I hope (laughs) <laughs> took place so let's let's get nerdy let's let's cheer on Allie Lee and Dan Cook let's give them something to get really excited about the Hebrew word for helper okay is a word called Azer. it's and this is um easy would be the phonetical way of spelling it of course Hebrew has no verbs or has no vowels so E-Z-E-R is sort of the phonetical way. Azer, it means to surround, to protect, or to help. Now, that's not all that helpful. That's a little more helpful than like the word help meet in some translations. Um, But the word Azer occurs 21 times in the Hebrew scriptures. The first time is right here in Genesis 2.20. But then the other 20 times... This is powerful, you guys. In the other 20 occurrences, this word azer describes the life-saving help, protection, and surrounding that God gives God's people. This word azer is a powerful kind of help, usually reserved for the kind of when you cry out for help when you're about to die. I want to read some of the verses to you that I printed out here. Um, Deuteronomy 33, 7. and this, this he said about Judah, Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, God, be his help against his enemies. Whew. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. Come on. Uh, Deuteronomy 33:29. Blessed are you, Israel. That's Jacob, who is like you, O people, saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper. Azer, your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will be tread, and you will tread on their heights. Psalm 20 verse two may he send may God send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion Psalm 3320 we wait in hope for the Lord for he is our help and our shield Psalm 70 verse 5 but as for me I am poor and needy come quickly to me, O God you are my Azer my help and my deliverer O Lord, do not delay. Psalm eighty nine nineteen. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, and you said, "I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised a young man from among the people." Uh, and the, it goes on and on and on. I won't read all the other twenty verses, but the point here is, you guys, this word "helper" doesn't mean apron and you know weak, meek, and mild. It's strong and powerful reserved for the kind of help that God brings someone when they're dying. That is the word, one of the two words, that describes the first woman. Can I get an amen, please? The second word, translated as suitable, is neged. Uh, Also, uh, so it's translated in front of, directly opposite or straightforward, or in the sight of, or before your face, or in your view, or face-to-face. So this phrase, "azer kinegdo" is the phrase that's used to describe women. How I've heard it described and how I describe it is this, a face-to-face co-laborer whose powerful strength surrounds and protects, offering life-saving help. I want to say that again. A face-to-face co-laborer whose powerful strength surrounds and protects, offering life-saving help. Can I get an amen? That is a biblical woman. Third time. Face-to-face co-laborer whose powerful strength surrounds and protects, offering life-saving help. That's a biblical woman. Now, I want to end uh, sharing some midrash about Leah and Rachel because we can't end the story only knowing about this competition that they had with each other, only knowing about the sons that they bore and their handmaids bore to Jacob. That can't be their only story. That can't be the only thing we know about them. And so midrash is what the rabbis would use their imagination and when they would ask questions like "What else do we know about Leah?", they would use this interpretive method called midrash. We use it all the time here, and it's based—it's a—it's based on the truth of the text, but also the imagination that's rooted in the story. And so, one midrash, they talks about Leah's weak eyes, and um, the word "weak" is is an unfortunate translation. Um, this was true in the town of haran there was a saying two sons to rebecca two daughters to laban the older to the older the younger to the younger and so from the very beginning it would have been absolutely a given you guys that because rebecca and laban were brother and sister and because rebecca had two sons and laban had two daughters these four people would have been pre-arranged in marriage from basically the time that they were born. And so it's not like, you know, oh, this love story that Rachel falls in love with Jacob and maybe Leah does too. It's like this, it's, it's all according to plan. <laughs> so from the very beginning, they would know. Leah would know, I'm marrying Esau. Rachel would know, I'm marrying Jacob. Um, And so Leah's weak eyes, the rabbis in Midrash uh, use the, so the word for weak here in weak eyes is rakot, which usually is translated not weak, but soft or tender. And the rabbis said that Leah's eyes were bloodshot, puffy, and red constantly because she was weeping. She was sad because she did not want to marry Esau because he was seen as wicked I mean, he was seen as not righteous while Jacob was seen as the righteous one. Right? So that gives some more nuance. You know, it wasn't just like, and... Leah, all the rabbis agree that Leah and Rachel were equally beautiful. Some Midrash even see them as twins. So it wasn't like Leah was this ugly duckling and Laban, this is what I was always taught, Leah was ugly, so Laban had to trick Jacob into marrying her because no one else is going to marry her. Not true. In fact, in this weird, weird way of looking at it, Laban might have been looking out for Leah in a weird, odd, patriarchal, Bronze Age way. Because if you read the story, Esau had already married someone else. And so the person that Leah was saved for wasn't going to marry her anyway. And so in a way it can be seen, and I know this is so hard to grasp, so hard, but as Laban looking out for Leah by giving him to Jacob, giving her to Jacob first. I know that's a mind bender. Um, but does that help, you know, in terms of seeing, seeing Leah and, um, another Midrash says, uh, of these two sisters that Leah and Rachel are like two rafters of a house extending from one end of the world to another, meaning the whole world rests on these two matriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Cause the whole 12 tribes of Israel come from these two women. And of course their two handmaids, um, And the Midrash goes like this. One reared princes, while the other reared princes. One Leah, one Rachel. One Leah produced kings, King David, from Leah, and the other produced kings, King Saul, came from Rachel. One produced the killers of lions, King David, came from Leah, and the other produced killers of lions, Samson, came from Rachel. Uh, One produced conquerors of the lands. descended from Leah were Moses and David. Oh, and by the way, Jesus was descended from Leah. And the other produced conquerors of lands, Joshua and Saul, were from Rachel. From one, the dividers of lands, Moses. And from the other, the dividers of lands, Joshua. So in this Midrash, it lays out the powerful foundation Uh, upon which these two wildly powerful matriarchs supported the world. I like that picture. I guess it's not a foundation, but those two rafters that cover, surround, protect, think Azer, the world, right? And so uh, there's so much more that we could talk about here. We're out of time. (laughs) But here's my conclusion. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're non-binary, um, The question is, what's your story? And where does it start? And who's the narrator of your story? And is the narrator limiting you or burying your image of God? Man, woman, non-binary, whatever you are. Has the image of God within you been buried by the narration of your story, which was given to you in a way that diminished the image of God or buried it deep within you? And how does it need to come out? What in your story might need to be forgotten? And what in your story might need to be remembered? And what in your story might need to be Rewritten. There are chapters that are still left in your story, and the chapters that have been written aren't all true, and the chapters that are to be written have the future that is laying out for you with God, the powerful helper, coming to your aid to surround and protect you. Amen. Amen.